Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your word. We'd ask that you would lay it before us in such a way that as we submissively study it, we would learn what it is um, to be in our lives, how we should be in it frequently with a desire for greater and greater depth. This we ask in your son's name. Amen. One thing I need to remind you on occasion, because not just is the SoundCloud providing you with access to various seminars that the big house has done, but uh, every Sunday after church I take the little recorder home, load it on my computer, load it up to SoundCloud, and then each Sunday's sermon is available. Um, that is not an encouragement for you to stay home and say, I'll just listen to it Sunday afternoon. But if you did break your foot and couldn't make it to church, you could listen to the sermon. But also, if you hear something, we want you to be able to use this in a ministry sense, you know, that if you, if you heard something that you know would be a real encouragement to some other believer that doesn't attend here, you can send them to it or send it to them. You can post them on Facebook, you can, but, uh, so go out to SoundCloud and, and take a look around and see if there's a way you can use any of the, the benefits there to minister to people. Um, again, it's a, a cheap price I had to pay for unlimited uploads. Yes, Glenn? Oh, there you go. Good thinking. Thanks. It was Laurel? Good job. Not only that, Laurel, but now your name, Laurel, has been mentioned three times, four times, Laurel, on the recording that this week people go, who is this Laurel? She's praying. Okay, let's get away from that and on to Isaiah. Isaiah 30. I've been in the New Testament recently. We've been looking at a number of uh, passages in John, with the Thessalonians last, last week. And every so often, it's good, since most of the Bible is the Old Testament. I mean, I don't think that's how it works. You have to pay as much attention to something as there are pages and ratio to the other. But there's some wonderful portions in the Old Testament. We like to teach out of the Psalms at times and sometimes out of events. And, and I was looking through Isaiah this morning. And, uh, you know, you run across, oh, that's great. And you look at the, oh, I, that was only two years ago. Or, but Isaiah 30, I have not ever been in, other than either going through an overview Bible study and for, of Isaiah. And sometimes your own thoughts have to sort of grow to the point where something is of benefit to you. You, you, you read it before, but your heart and your place was not in a place that that would benefit. You need some more thoughts in your head, you need more maturity, or you need... And so it, it takes a while sometimes for you, uh, if you're a teacher of the scriptures, to um, recognize the benefit of a passage. I was going to trim the top half of this off, but then as I read through it and I found out it would actually all fit, um, I said, I'll leave it on. So this introduction to this idea in verse 1 of chapter 30. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine. 
and who make a league, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my counsel, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. You could sense the spiritual stuff at the beginning, and you go, Egypt, wait, Egypt, where am I? 700s BC, middle 700s, uh, 750-ish. Um, the Assyrians are the dominant uh, expanding empire at the time. They have been pushing down into Palestine through Damascus and Syria and, and the like, and so the Jews are all concerned about it. This is where the northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrians in 722 uh, BC, and everybody's going, trying to figure out what to do. God's punishment had come upon them. We know that for the prophets, they said. Assyria, not a good bunch of people, but they're going to come and hammer you and take you into captivity. So a lot of the Jews were thinking, well, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Well, they came up with a plan. Let's go to Egypt, or let's invite Egypt. They trust in the chariots of Egypt. He says, you carry out a plan, but not mine. As you've heard me say in the last few years, one of the basic questions, if not the basic question everybody is asking at all times, is who's in charge here? You think about it in every circumstance. Who am I going to listen to? Am I going to follow my way, their way, our way, God's way? What am I going to do? Who's going to be the deciding? And it seems here that the rebellious children, they've decided. They're not going to take the Lord's plan. They're going to take a plan, but it's not going to be God's. And why in the world would you ever, I mean, why would you do that? Think about it for a moment. Why? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done something that you know God didn't want you to do? Ever? I see. What a righteous bunch of people. Nobody's a few half-hands. Okay, a little bit. I sinned twice in my life. You did. You were stretching, right, Brandon? You weren't just testifying there that you were, you were really bad. And why do, we, why do we do that? Because of sin, right? We say, well, why sin? Why do, why do, you, why do you sin? You like it. That's why. Because sin, in all shapes and forms it takes, is really under the umbrella of that decision to decide to serve your will in contradistinction to God's will. You decide what's going to benefit me, I am going to decide what benefits me. That's the sinful notion. I am going to decide what benefits me. God's saying, but I made you. I bought you. I am going to decide. You say, no, no, I'm going to decide. I'll have a plan here, Lord, but it's not going to be yours. You'd think that we would, if we had a decision, I ever, you ever sought God's will on something? Back in my early evangelical days, people, whenever you uh, think about a girl or a, a job, 
Have you ever really searched the, searched the mind of God to see whether it's his will to marry Susie Q? Oh, I didn't know. I better go search the will of God. And you're kind of trying to get a piece about it. And you, every so often you start talking about the idea of the will of God. Is this even a biblical notion that you go look for the will of God? And you really wish, you really wish in those moments when you got Sally Y and Susie Q and they're both attractive, they're both Christian sisters, you kind of like hanging out with them both and you're trying to figure out which one's the will of God. Or job in St. Louis or Des Moines. Both are good jobs. How do you decide? And you go, why is it so hard to figure out the will of God? Because I want to be in the will of God on that, right? This is the will of God for you. Oh, there's a scripture. That you abstain from immorality. This is the will of God for you. Oh, there's God has... We, we sort of get sit there with our hands on our heads, frustrated that God has not expressed himself clearly about Susie Q and Sally Y. But he says, oh, excuse me, leave that to you. You can decide which one you like more. I'm really concerned about telling you my will regarding how you live. How you are the husband to Susie Q or Sally Y. We're not as thrilled. We don't clasp our pudgy hands together and run towards God going, thank you so much for giving me a whole book of guidance that I can now ignore because I really enjoy doing what I want to do. So the Jews, much like we, have sought our own really good idea. Oh, what are we going to do about the Assyrians? Okay, Egypt's pretty big. Let's go talk. Let's go hang out in Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of the Negev through a land of trouble and anguish from where come the lioness and the lion, the viper, and the flying serpent. They carry their riches on backs of asses and their treasures, on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. For Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, who sits still. I'm confused, Pastor. I'm not actually called Pastor, by the way, but that's how people in the real churches talk. Evan, I'm confused, Evan. What's going on? I mean, what's this oracle on the beast? Basically, the Jews in Palestine are looking at Assyria, giving all sorts of Hades to the Israelites, and the Judeans are figuring out, figure out what they're going to do with this. And they're going to go trust Egypt. Egypt is just down the coastline. It's a, it's a short walk. It's like here to Spokane, okay, from Jerusalem to the edge of Egypt. Not very far. And so he says, you're going to go through this awful area full of lionesses and flying serpents and you're going to load up all your treasure on the backs of camels and asses and you're going to go down to something worthless and empty. So worthless and empty, I have called her Rahab who sits still. And you go, what is Rahab? Isn't that the whore that was in Judges? Right? Joshua, right? In Joshua, the girl with the scarlet cord, Rahab. 
different Rahab. Isaiah 51, here on the left-hand side. Was it not thou that didst cut Rahab to pieces, that didst pierce the dragon? The image of Rahab. The Rahab is the name of the, of the dragon that is representative of the Nile. And so, like Leviathan, Rahab was a, 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 a malicious, um, you can do what you want with it, but God defeats Rahab, uh, the dragon, and it represents, it symbolizes Egypt. So that's how he's using it here back, here back in chapter 30. Rahab sits still. Rahab, Egypt does nothing for you. You have to recognize this. Uh, one of the conceits that we have about our plans, when we're going to take a plan and it's not going to be the Lord's plan, we're going to set him to make decisions about Susie Q and Des Moines, but not let him be a deciding agent in how you live and what your heart is like, you need to know that you really don't have the power to make that plan work. Because this is God's world. He did pierce the dragon. This dragon, this plan's not going to help you. Oh, it looks like it will. Looks like you could go make an alliance with this, that, and the other. We've got Putin running around Central, you know, Russia and doing stuff, and NATO is thinking about all of its alliances and what do we do and how do we do it? Men are obviously running toward their own answers. And this is not a commentary on what people do down through history, um, politically or militarily. It's about you, whether or not your plan, you have the conceit that it's going to work. That you've got the power to bring about, we were talking about it at Drones yesterday, about how we all live inside of fictions that we create for ourselves. Because we'd like our life to be fictional with that nice narrative arc that comes to a point of crisis, then the eucatastrophe of a positive ending, and you're married to the right person, it's like a love story. You write those things for yourself? When you're a teenager, when you're young, you, did, you have really silly stories about yourself and how great and cool you're going to be. We just clean them up, make them more realistic as we become adults. We don't really have the power over history. We don't write history. We can make plans thinking we've got that control, but Rahab tragically sits still. This is God's world. That may seem to you. The pastors who really don't have a hard job get up and they go reach into antiquity, grab a passage out of Isaiah, which is not one of those charming books that you can read easily, you know, in a, in a sitting. 66 chapters of a prophecy against the Negev. What's the point? What's, who cares? The, 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 these are Assyrians. When was the last time you met an Assyrian? Down at anywhere? You might, I know a few Egyptians. <laughs> I know a few Egyptians. There are people that are Assyrians still, but they're not a lot. They're not a lot of in, It's not like Iranian. Iranians are Persians. Assyrians are a little bit different. So what's the point? Evan, you're just grasping. This is, what do you think you're, 
achieving here. This is old-timey stuff. What is the need for old-timey stuff? Um, uh, aren't you just pushing it anyway? You got a building with pointy windows and, and these old archaic things of getting together and sitting in really uncomfortable wooden chairs. And we traded in the padded chairs for these. We did that on purpose because we know how to lead a church. You say, well, you're caught up in that old-timey stuff. The way, you, even with our lack of liturgy, we still have a scripture reading and a separate lectern for that. And you mention Assyria and Philistia and Nebuchadnezzar and Nabopolassar and all sorts of other kings I'll never remember. And what's the point? Why did they write this down? Did they think it was important? Did they think we'd get, well, hold it, the next verse. And now, go. Write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. Oh, they thought of that. The prophet thought of that. He said, oh, okay, yeah. And we're going to make sure that not only do we, concerning ourselves with the Egyptian, concerning ourselves with Assyria, and concerning ourselves with the unbelieving conceit of the Jew, why don't you write that down to make sure everyone forever gets to watch this story. Forever you were intended to see this story. Prophets, do you, you know what prophets are? Prophets foretell the future. Isaiah was a prophet. And uh, you're probably not one. Anybody here a prophet? I would like to be, but I'm not. Sometimes my eye twitches, and I think I'm seeing something important, but no, not usually. Um, but in this case, in this agreement with the prophet, the prophet is told to do something by the Lord, and the prophet does it. He writes it down, like he was told. There it is on your page. I printed it out off a Ricoh printer 27, 2800 years later. Because he wrote it down, I printed it off in another language with toner. And um, you know what that did for you? Well, it was fulfilled the obedience of Isaiah. Isaiah got the whole forever thing pretty close, right? 27, 2800 years? Not bad. What did that do for you? Prophets prophesy things. Sometimes bad things. A lot of times bad things. You're not a prophet. You're a historian. And historians see bad things too. This is our share in this prophecy, the share in what's going on with Israel. It was written down so that you would read it. 2,700 years later, comfortable in your non-Assyrian moment, comfortable not looking to Egypt for anything, but still perhaps carrying out a plan, but not his. Well, people don't like prophets prophesying bad things. And they kind of, you wonder sometimes, why would I pay attention to the Assyrians and the Egyptians and all these things? In history, too. Not just when it's prophesied that something coming up is going to be bad. But why would I want to look back at something that was bad? You like to keep a Pollyanna, no offense, Glenda, a Pollyanna um, view of 
she always corrects me. She says that Pollyanna is actually a very good book. Read it. Um, but as we use it, not some sort of uh, Cinderella, nice castle in Disneyland um, sort of world, we want to have that view of ourselves and of America. I was thinking last night of Lewis's request or want, desire to write a book, a history of all the sins of the church down through history. What a book. Everyone sins. Every kind of sin. Not just the heretics who did bad things. that We had to burn. You know we had to burn them. But all of the awful, awful actions. We don't want to look at those things. They tell us to be quiet. For they are rebellious people, verse 9. Lying sons, sons who will not hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, now you do know a seer is called a seer because he sees. Right? It's not just a weird word. It's not just seer. It's a seer. They tell the seers, which you are among as a historian seer, not a prophetic seer, but you've seen what God did to the Jews. You see what God did to the wicked. And they say, see not into the prophets. Prophesy not to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more of the Holy One of Israel. One of the problems with having your own plan, and because, in spite of your conceit, you're really quite dumb. And you can see it when the little tyke, five years old, I'm running away from home. What do they do? They, mom ties a little, what do they call it, a sandwich up in a handkerchief and puts it on a stick and off they go down the street and make it two houses. And then they come home because they're hungrier. Want some chips or something. It's kind of fun to watch that silly running away from home moment. Sometimes it happens at 13 when they think they're actually more like a college student when they're not, because college students are really quite remarkably ignorant. <laughs> and this is how I relate to the youth. Welcome to our church. You watch people run their lives into a ditch. Well, as they run their lives into their own plans and their own way and don't seek the counsel of the wise or the mind of God on the matter, They need to have a confidence. Their conceit's usually not enough. They've got to shut you up. Have you noticed it about moral things in our society now? What do they just do to the Mozilla CEO? They just cannot have anyone even thinking what you're thinking. You're thinking stuff that is not allowed to be thought anymore. That can keep your job. Your thinking might be on all sorts of different issues. But people who have a different plan, the more radically different the plan than God's, the more you have to shut up the seers. You have to tell the prophets to quit saying that. You have to tell, in your case, the historian, quit bringing up what God did to these places for their wickedness. Don't tell us what's right. Tell us an illusion. 
We are so committed to our own plan and not his, we want to set up, to agree with our conceit, a world that for the moment looks like your plan is actually going to work. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, because that's what you have to do. You've got your own plan. Remember, you're not God, but you've got your own plan, which replaced God's, and so you've got to tell the prophets and the seers to shut the heck up. You've got to get everybody on board with what you're doing, so it sounds like this is a plan that's going to work, and since it's not wise and not moral and not the Lord's, you're going to uh, have to oppress people. You're going to have to be perverse in your pursuit of your plan. Because Lord knows we're going to try to make it look like homosexual marriage is just as much marriage as heterosexual marriage. Really, honest, that's what we're going to make that work. We have got to shut everything down that tells us otherwise. Now, you know this, ha- this church is not a causal-driven church. We're not out there marching in the streets about anything. We think saying they're wrong and things are right. God will judge his world. We're going to want to think clearly about it. We want to know what the wicked are up to. And they might actually, in a given society, win. This folly might go on for a while. But you can know what's going on. They are trying to make their perverseness work through oppression. But you have to say, to what degree do I do that? Oh, it's easy to pick on the homosexuals. I mean, especially the flamboyant ones. It's easy to pick on the meth users. Easy to pick on people who've got flagrant sin going on. You say, but how do I... The the sin of the Jews here was not homosexuality. It was striking up an alliance with Egypt. Pretty sensible. Are your sensibilities, your good reasoning, your responsible choices, even though God told you not to? Be be rough with yourself here for a moment. Because you know there are passages that tell you certain behavior is not right, right? Yeah, yeah, I know what those things are. I'm glad you stand for that, Mr. Wilson. What about uh, do not worry about tomorrow? Jesus said that. But Evan, you don't seem to understand. I need to be responsible. I I, I, I know, I know you, you need to be responsible. Jesus said, Lord of heaven and earth, maker of all things. Don't worry about tomorrow. But I want to have my own plan in which I am a responsible good citizen with a fence and 2.5 children. No, I'm not going to get homosexually married, but I am going to worry about tomorrow. Or you may not. You think God's going to have, oh, I'm really concerned about flamboyant homosexuality, but I'm not concerned about those who disobey me over here. If someone strikes at you on one cheek, turn to him again the other. Good luck with that. Next time someone hits you. 
What are, you, what are you going to do with all the instruction the Lord told you how to be? And you want him to insist on his way with those people over there. And he's going to. Don't you worry. God's going to take his vengeance out. God, no one gets out of here alive. Everyone goes before the judgment seat of Christ. The question we have this morning is not, what are they up to out there? But what are we up to? Are we the Jews that have our own plan for handling this? It seems wise to us, and we have not listened to what God wants of us. Because what is God? I mean, we're not talking about the will of God in terms of finding it out about Susie Q and Sally Y. We're talking about the will of God where he declares that you should be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is what he wants out of you. Is that your plan? Do you find yourself every time you have a little tiff with the spouse? That, Lord, I have really disappointed you. This is not what a Christian is supposed to be like. Are you aware of what God's holiness is calling you to? Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a break in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse whose crash comes suddenly in, in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel which is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not assured is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of a cistern. This is an avalanche, folks. This is a tsunami. This is an earthquake. It's that sense of, you see it in ancient towns when earthquakes go through them. Everything just goes, poof. everything falls. Remember watching 9-11 when it happened in the morning? When the, when the towers went down? They went down. When it finally goes, it all went down together. When you talk about, you see demolitions where they do big buildings, they, they make it so it all goes down at once, all that way. And that's what our plans are waiting to have happen. God is happy to let us tootle around in our life, laying our groundwork, making our plans, being responsible citizens and turning to Jesus only when the homosexuals get uppity. Start being all sorts of religious about those things over there, but not quite so religious about all the things that God's plan had dictated to me about loving my wife, not provoking my children to anger. All sorts of good instructions in the Bible when you read it. He says, when it comes, when this comes, it's going to be a million pieces. When this drops on you. Don't think this is just going to slide. Don't just think, well, Evan believes in freedom of the will. That means I get to do what I want. And face the judgment for what you did. You will get what you deserve. And it's going to be the phrase, smithereens. Okay, now you know what smithereens mean. I like the description of Isaiah. He says the pottery is going to be so busted up, you won't find a piece big enough to carry a coal from a fire. I mean, the little curved side of the pot. Or get a, enough to scoop up some water to take a drink. The ancient world was filled with broken pottery fragments. That's how they voted in Athens. Oh, we get the word ostracism because a broken pottery fragment is an 
and on the broken pottery fragments is they were their ballots. And so when they wanted to kick someone out of town, they would write the name, Themistocles, on the side of a broken pottery fragment and throw it in a jar. We found, I have not personally, but archaeologists have, found these jars filled with names of people written on the sides of pottery fragments, reasonably good-sized pottery. The world was filled. That was their world. He says, think of that in little tiny, 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 tiny pieces. Completely useless. I quoted in the authority all the king's horses and all the king's men. Couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. For thus says the Lord God, verse 15, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. That's what the Lord hangs out. Remember, this is not merely do it my way or do it your way, but you'll get in trouble if you do it your way. That's not only yet. Think of who he is in relationship to you doing it your way. He's saying, I want you to know where I am on this matter. If you come back to me, returning, if you have peace in me, rest, quietness, trust, you will be saved and have strength have strength. That's what he's offering. What do you want out of this life? The reason you're running around on your chubby little legs and clasping your pudgy hands together, working hard to build your kingdom, whatever your illusion is, that you want us to shut up about and other people to give you, you know, privileges to do. The reason you're doing it is you're trying to find rest. That's that's what the chief end of everybody is, trying to find peace. He says, if you return to me and rest, you will be saved. If you look for me in quietness and in trust, those things will be what you're looking for. That's what will provide it. If it says, and you would not, but you said, no, we will speed upon horses. Therefore, you shall speed away, and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. Oh, you're going to turn up the volume on your choices. You're going to work harder at them. He says, oh, I, I was forgetting that you were going to ride a faster horse. I'll just make sure your enemies have faster ones. Because you're going to get caught. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. A lonely, out here we got to call it uh, a lone jack, the, a tree out there, a lone pine out there at the top of a hill. Pretty lonely place, a pretty empty place. I remember when I first moved out here and met Norwegians, they had a little saying, 10,000 Swedes. Any Swedes here? I'm sorry, Ann, this is the quote. Um, 10,000 Swedes were chased through the weeds. Or ran through the weeds, chased by 10 Norwegians. Well, that's the image here. You know what I'm saying? A thousand shall flee from the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left. Your world, your plan is going to crumble. Whatever you're doing with Egypt, whatever you're doing with Assyria, however you're trying to work it out, why don't you return to me? Whatever God's instructions are in your life, 
whatever Assyria is in your life, whatever you think you can trust in Egypt as. Is it your job? Is it the love affair you have with your spouse? Is it romance? Is it uh, uh, philosophy and, and, and apology? Whatever you think you could build a life on that isn't the Lord Jesus Christ, you might want to go back and find out if he's got another plan. What is his plan for you? Earthquake. The, the, plan for, the plan for us is in his word. Are you the kind of person that says, I want to know what God has for me to do? Not to this specific, not for you in particular, but for us as believers to do. We know so much, and we don't study it. So, oh no, these things come first. Pleasing my Lord comes first. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exists himself to show, exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. That was sort of an odd phrasing. He waits for you, waits to be gracious, and you'll be blessed if you wait for him. That not just, I'm going to come and rescue the situation. I'm going to come bail you out now. No, I'm a God of justice. I'll let that sink in a little bit more. You're going to get crushed at some later date, or you'll feel the incremental folly sooner, and you'll return to him. You'll feel, feel, feel the punishment sooner, and you'll turn back to him and wait on him, not wait on your own views. Yea, O people in Zion who dwell at Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Now, look at that phrase again. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. You always hear atheists running around, well, if there was a God, why would he let these awful things happen? Obviously there is no God. Maybe the God isn't like you thought he was. And I'm sure if you noticed all these awful things, let's get together and cry out to him and ask him. Let's plead with him. Let's offer our lives to him. Oh, I don't. I want to have God just forced to do stuff. He needs to improve the universe, even though I can barely notice him. I will barely notice his existence. I won't speak of him or speak to him, nor will I cry out to him for forgiveness of my sins, but he better pony up with every answer to every calamity I cause with my sin. He will be gracious to you at the sound of your cry when he hears it. Have it, has it been overt for you? Has it gotten bad enough to get overt that you fall to your knees and go, Dear God, forgive me. He will answer you. And though the Lord, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. This is sort of a messianic remark. This is when we turn back to him, when we rest in him, when he, we cry out to him, 
he then answers us. And the thing coming is, in spite of the fact we've been through adversity, we shall see our teacher. And look at how it describes it. And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left, your moment-to-moment life will be led by your teacher speaking in your ear. This is the way. This is the way. This is the promise that Jeremiah made in uh, Jeremiah 31, where he talks about the new covenant. No one will have to be told, know the Lord, for all will know him. All of you who are Christians have this Holy Spirit, this teacher, that is ready to guide you. The passage William read this morning. of listening to him regarding all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Are you aware of the things that you should be doing as you walk through life? Your eyes shall see your teacher. So the instruction would be, recognize the categories. You have a plan, but it taint his. What are you going to do? What's the realization about that plan? Well, it's not by objecting to everything in the scriptures or in history that would correct you. You don't oppress those. You say, maybe I should humble myself and cry out to him. Maybe I should return and rest in him. Maybe I should seek his quietness and trust. Maybe I should be looking for that teacher to see him so that my life would be led that particularly You need to have a realization. The overt act's not coming unless you have a realization. It's hard to get people, unless you've got a ritual going where you all knelt at a certain point in the church service. You know, some churches have those little kneeling rails that fold down. Very comfortable. They have little pads on them. Well, that's the way you get people to kneel. You just make it part of the ritual. We don't want it to be part of your ritual. We want it to be the reaction to a realization you have that there is a God He has an opinion, and you might not have shared it up to now. He wants to be gracious. (coughs) He knows that the calamity coming for all of our plans is going to be really appropriate. Then you will defile your silver-colored graven images and your gold-plated molten images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. You will see your teacher, he will guide you, and you'll put your idols aside. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We'd ask that you would help us understand when we make a plan, if you have another. The things that guide us are so often our human urges, our temptations, our self-reward. We'd ask uh, that you would lead us to those places that correct our plans with yours. That we would seek you to sit in your presence, to have you and your son teach us. This we ask in your son's name. Amen.